Welcome to another exciting episode of the Business of Digital podcast, featuring your hosts, Matt Siltala and Dave Rohr. Hey guys, excited to be here with you on another one of these Business of Digital podcast episodes. Uh, how's it going, Dave? It is going well. So, we're continuing this, what we're calling this 100th episode series, and we have a wonderful guest for you. I would like everybody to say hi virtually, wave, and give a big shout out to Dana Todd. How's it going, Dana? It is awesome. How are you? I'm so glad to be here, gentlemen. Thank you for inviting me. No, it's our pleasure. Seriously, like, you know, when just with, with this series and everybody that we've talked to and just so far how it's gone, this has been probably one of the most fascinating things that, I, that we've done on this podcast. So it's really exciting to kind of have you on here. And, and I'm going to do to you what I've done to everyone here in, in you know, getting started and kicking it off. And, and uh, I, I, I find this fun because, and, and I can't even take credit for this because this was uh, something that, uh, that Dave thought of. But when we're talking about like industry and how long we've been in this industry and what we've been doing, I, how, you know, that, uh, that meme series of how old are you or how old were you when and whatnot. And mm-hmm. so kind of what, what we want to know is how internet old are you? Are you, are you Alta Vista old? Are you like Dave and your Florida update old? Are you like me and like Netscape old? Okay. So Matt, <laughs> I have another one. Yeah. I am first conference old. I met Dana Todd, Barbara Cole, and Nacho Hernandez. There you go. Which was the same time as the Florida update. So that goes back to you know, many a few a few years ago. Or or with some of the people that I'm I'm you know, we're gonna we're gonna talk about them in a minute, but some of the people we talked to were like dial up old. So um. Yeah. I have to tell you, I was. I yeah, I kinda went when I first started developing, well I'll tell you in a nutshell. We'll just we'll do an easy one for fun. I am Yahoo search banner ad old. <laughs> for your digital side. This isn't just, you know, right. all marketing or Oh, okay. Well yeah. yeah. No, I was pre internet. So <laughs> I've been doing advertising since advertising was just <laughs> print and television. Wow. Uh, when I first got into it, we built a, a million dollar website. That was my first website was a million dollar website. Because wow. things cost that much back then. Yeah. Crazy. <laughs> uh, yeah. And Yahoo was still just a manually edited list of links. Um, their very first advertising product was banner ads. And we got a 40% click rate oh my on our banner ads. How many zeros over? How many zeros over would that be today? Oh my God! I wish to God. I wish they would bring that back. (laughs) We've been doing a lot of reminiscing of the old days like that on these. It seems. (laughs) Yeah, and I actually bought the very first paid pay-per-click advertising on Alta Vista. Google wasn't there yet, so they didn't have anything like that. They were not monetized, so. Yeah, Kat Sita and I were running the very, we're advertisers on the very first auctioned link uh, pay-per-click system. Wow. That's so crazy. That's well, an get- old credit. Oh, oh, one more, one more, one more. And and I can actually, I have a witness on this. I was the first person to say organic related to SEO. <laughs> I was wondering, okay, Dave, you want to take it over? That uh, <laughs> Mr. Mr. Bozer, who we spoke with just recently, did credit he he didn't he didn't think he did it said it i believe uh, and i'll probably misstate this he ended um, up giving i think he borrowed it from you oh. or 
or he heard you say it and then he said it and someone tried to give him credit and he's pretty sure that it's it's you that coined that first yes yes it's true and i didn't pay greg to say that actually you know because no, we were actually talking Noel to you McMichael. after we talked to him so, yeah. yeah noel mcmichael was the one who, who brought it up first i was like oh yeah wow. yeah so there you go i am i am an ancient grandmother of search and digital so i i guess to kick things off and, and this is one of the you know the questions that i love uh finding out because I look back to some of my fondest memories, like in the early days or, you know, just when I was working with whoever and just like you made the simple change and it and it took you here, there or whatever. And so what is, you know, when you think back to the early industry days, what is the thing that, uh, it, you know, what's like the one thing that you can think of that excited you the most about this industry that just made you like, hey, this is what I'm going to be doing for the next little while. Does that make sense? It does, and I can tell you, I was like addicted to the internet side from the very first time I saw it. So I had never actually seen the web because I had AOL back in the day, and any time <laughs> you pressed the World Wide Web icon, my whole computer was like a Mac 2E, and it would just <laughs> shut down. So I was like, I do not know what the web is, and I wasn't able to see it until uh, wow. our accountant, I had a small traditional agency at that time, with a partner and we, through our accountant, met this startup company, it was one of the first digital agencies in San Diego and it was run by this um, professor, a retired professor named Dr. Frederick Bien and he, I went in there and they had a ISDN line which was just like, oh, wow, yeah. you could, I was yeah. like, powerful man, you didn't have the modem sound <laughs> and you know, so I go in there and it's an all male staff, you know, all bunch of engineers that he had recruited out of school, like they were math majors and some engineers and, and I was like, let me see the web <laughs> and, and of course we went to, I, this is not a family show, is it, is it just in case? Well, yeah, you're fine. Okay. okay, I was gonna say yeah, I'll let Dave answer that because he's the one that's always fighting iTunes with profanity. <laughs> yeah, I just have to flag it. That's easy. Yeah, I mean things were definitely a lot less uh, politically correct back then. It was the early days, and frankly, most of the stuff that was on the web was porn. Um, but it was, you know, it was kind of I interesting. I thought it was still to look. like that. Well, yeah. yeah. Most um, of the bandwidth, I think, is either video games, <laughs> Netflix, or porn at this point. It's true. <laughs> but there was a very, so that the, one of the, the most popular site on the internet back then was TOTW. Do you know what that means? No. It was Tits of the Week. Oh, <laughs> so like hot or not, but eh, yes, a little older. yeah. So this was this was the web in 1995. Wow, <laughs> and, I think that was blocked at my university. Yeah, probably. <laughs> but I mean, to be honest, I was so impressed not just by the you know, but just the idea that oh my god, here's this stuff I'd been reading about in magazines. I was reading like Mondo 2000, and they were talking about the well and all these listservs and things like you know, internet communities, and here I was seeing it visual for the first time in my life and it just blew my mind and I was like we I just got to be part of that so very shortly thereafter I actually joined that agency as their very first account executive and so when you ask me what excites me is the, the newness of this industry every single day the you know it's, it's a constant state of innovation and breaking things and making things and trying to monetize it. It's just a, it's a really survival of the fittest, survival of the craziest kind of thing. I mean, it's wild west every day forever and ever and ever. You know, and, and 
you you touched on something that you know we chatted a little bit with uh, Greg about as well, um, and that you know I, I think it's so important for people to hear and understand this thing, you know, because it's so new and even to this day, like I, if people aren't testing and breaking and blowing stuff up and burning things to the ground, like I don't know like how much credit they can say that they really have because you know we <laughs> I look back to a lot of the uh, you know the the stuff that I did back in the day and. You know, most of it was like a lot of the stuff that I burned or, or, you know, I joked with Greg that I think that the, the last name Siltala is forever. Like if anyone that has a last name Siltala tries to apply for a Google AdSense account, they're going to automatically get denied just because of it's my last name. So sorry, all you people. But anyway, so like, <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, but uh, I, I, you know, for me, I, I found how important just testing and burning and just playing with it and figuring it out. Like, I, we had to. Yeah, yeah, you really did. I mean, because nobody wrote a rule book, and, and they still don't. And, you know, we talk about this in the the pain. And one of the things, that when we started Sempo, one of the pains that we were going through is that the agency, or excuse me, the industry at that time was growing rapidly, and we did not have employees coming in who could do anything yet because there was no it wasn't being taught in universities you had to just get in there and try it yourself and so um a lot of the the challenges of scaling anything in the industry are the same thing that makes it so interesting to be in which is that novelty which is the yeah you got to break it to make it kind of thing i mean that that's the I, SEO, I think, probably exemplifies that the most in the early days, and, and I think there's still probably a fair amount of shenanigans that that, get, that happen and people still get away with. Oh, but yeah. um, I, I think on the advertising side, the there's I wouldn't say there's less innovation, um, but I'd say it's it's slowed down a little bit since Google and Facebook basically ate everything from a monetization perspective. Well, you know, something that you had uh, mentioned right there got me thinking about. So, like, my daughter, she's she did her first year. Of, she just completed her first year at Arizona State University. And I don't want to throw, like, ASU under the bus or anything or the program she's in. We already she, did that on one episode. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. We may okay. have thrown them under the bus. Well, <laughs> I'm just saying, like, some of the stuff she comes back, cause she knows, obviously, what industry I'm in. And, and, and uh, she'll come back and say, so my professor was saying x y and z about seo is that true and it couldn't have been farther from the truth or it might have been something that was somewhat truthful back in like 2003 and i'm like it's 2019 are we still like like for reals and so like to, to your wasn't point wasn't it keywords like yeah didn't they say keywords matter and that yeah yeah they were trying to tell them how like keywords still mattered and 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 well, key, the meta keywords tag to be meta specific keywords tag, yeah. yeah that's anyway so just crazy stuff like that and there's like so many other examples but it just so it's like, fast forward to what you were talking about, how, you know, back in the day and still trying to figure, I still think we're there. I don't know. We're, Although we're doing will, a little bit better, but. <laughs> I'll actually continue to defend SEO keywords, the meta keywords. I know they don't matter for Google, but they do matter. I run an e-commerce site, so we can use that tag very, that field very easily for our own internal indexing. So yes, they do matter, Jen. Well, that's <laughs> the only time I ever, whenever I talk to someone, is yeah. do, does your internal search require that you use it no then please get rid of it but no, that's the only time i can ever think of because there are a lot of internal engines yeah. that if you want it to it's, it's, and that's the one way and you probably use it too to make sure it always does show up for something for that even if it's mm. not on the page or you know for 
I, I mean, I know what Dana's project is. So if that designer doesn't create something or doesn't put it in there, you can force it in there. That's true. Yeah. Well, and, and, and maybe that wasn't the best example to start with, but I'm talking like crazy stuff like, uh, you know, okay. hiding text and, what? you know, key, keyword, uh, you know, your, your keyword density and anyway, just, I know. So, uh, all right. Although it's funny, you know, I talk to a lot of, a lot of things don't work. A lot of things still do work. It's always interesting to me what SEOs say out loud versus what they tell you at cocktail parties. And I think that's the, that's the whole reason people still go to pub. pub. Oh, that's <laughs> one of the only reasons, I think, right? <laughs> because, you know, all, well, no, they, they, throw, they throw a mean party and they do a wonderful job of um, keeping the community together. But yeah, but yeah there, is, there are still things. You know, even just last month I was talking to a guy and he was like, and they had, I'm not even going to tell you what site that. It was a legit, very large enterprise. And he admitted that, oh, yeah, they actually were doing some seriously shady experiments with doing spamming, disposable email domains, link farms, you name it. They were black hatting all over the place. And they basically just did it as safely as they could, you know, keeping it separate from the main domains and everything else. Um, and that's how they get a hat. So it's really interesting. Like, all, you, you hear all that. And I'm an avowed white hat. I, I hope you're not, your takeaway isn't Dana will cheat, but it gets frustrating <laughs> to me when I hear, you know, I talk to my peers. I'd be worried about what Dave writes <laughs> up about it more than it does. I, I get so frustrated when I hear, you know, I'm talking to my, my peer CMOs and, and digital people and I'm just like, y'all are really just cheating. Dang it. Why shouldn't I, you know, I want to cheat. I really want to cheat. <laughs> well, part of it is like I had, a, I literally just had a call earlier today about in, uh, what time is it? An uh, hour and a half ago. And they've done the audit of the links, um, multiple sources, and they've gone through everything. And they're like, the only difference is they have some of these junky links that are out there. And I know I can get them cheap. So I'm going to get a couple of them cheap because they have them and they're ahead of me. So, you know, you know, we talked with this to Greg the other day and, you know, in other times as well, it's if everyone else is doing it and they're ahead of me, then why can't I do it? And as an SEO, I can try to talk them off that ledge and say, how about you're the only one standing when there's a shakeup, but I don't know if that shakeup will be next week or if it'll be in six months or six years. Yeah. If you've got a, you've got financials breathing down your neck, you have to hit a target. So yeah, especially I, now, you know, yeah. if building links and, you know, how long does it take for this to make an impact from an SEO or anything? True. Although, it can take months or weeks or years. And for the record, I'm not cheating. If you're out there listening, Google. <laughs> <laughs> for the record, let's make that very clear. I just get frustrated when I feel like everybody else is doing this stuff and getting away with that. <laughs> Considering I've spent a bunch of time on that site, I know you're not. <laughs> ah, true. Very true. Yay. So let's talk about early advertising. Let's um, do it. Because it is really, well, it just not just advertising, but monetization methods. Because we have gone through so many changes in the industry from, and full circle in a way. You know, banner ads were like literally the first thing anybody ever thought of. And then they came up with text links. And then they came up with auctioned text links. And, you know, then we came up with, uh, behavioral sponsored things, uh, sponsored listings within the organic. There's just just so many monetization schemas that have come along, and it seems like. And to my earlier point, it seems like the innovation has somewhat died there. 
And I feel like a lot of that was killed off in the recession because there was some really interesting things that were coming to play in roughly 2008 to 2010. And a lot of them just kind of disappeared in the, the great destruction of the American economy uh, because, you know, California was hit pretty hard, too. So there were tons of startups that I knew that, that failed during that time, including my own news force. Um, and it feels like everybody just sort of limped away at that point. And when we came back, Facebook had taken over the world and it was like, oh, well, I guess we'll just do that. And so it was really funny to me that there's there's really been no radically new and exciting advertising vehicle in almost a decade, y'all. I think, well, yeah, the only things that I see are, and this might be rolled back with legislation coming up for, you know, Facebook and Google, but they have so much data that it's now just the number of, and I was just messing with this yesterday for one of my clients is, you know, looking at the audiences and the topics and the, you know, the lookalike audiences that you can target because they know so much about what people are and what industry they're possibly in and what they search for and what they've bought or what they might be interested in buying that I can get all of this audience data and target those people with, again, banner ads um, or, you know, search enhanced type stuff. But that's the only real big change that I've seen is, you know, LinkedIn, Facebook, Google, and maybe Amazon, but Amazon's basically just trying to monetize their page views more. And I don't, I don't know of anything else other than we just are getting more granular on people, but there's nothing else. It's all the same. It's either a text link or a banner or, well, what about native advertising? Yeah. Well, so actually Newsforce was play. intended <laughs> to be, <laughs> Newsforce was intended to be essentially an advertorial thing. So it was um, sponsored content. And I think you know, with the native advertising came about as a word that was applied to Facebook and it's gotten really watered down. I actually almost don't even know what it means anymore to have native advertising. It basically just seems to mean it mirrors the content that you're already in, in a feed typically. So whether that's a news feed or a social media feed. So I guess by that same argument, you can say any sponsored post in Instagram or Facebook is, you know, is a, a native advertising or like you said, pay to play. So yeah, I mean, but that's not new, dude. That's no, that's like since the dawn of time. <laughs> well, yeah, magazines have done it. You know, you go yeah. through and oh, when you get stuck on airplanes, Matt, that, that you ever get stuck on airplanes. <laughs> um, you know, it's like that, what is this 20 pages of just junk in the middle? And it's just, you know, some, some city or some, you know, list of doctors have paid for, you know, to but, be the, the, the place you should go. And those could be incredibly effective though. Cause that was my very first job on outside of the journal as a journalist. And then I moved over to the, the dark side of advertising. My very first job was writing copy, writing advertorial copy in these special supplements and I'm telling you, man, they worked. They I've heard they still flat. do. They do, of course. Because it's it's not, if you're in, well, A, if you're stuck on a plane, or if it's interesting you in any way, shape, way, shape or form, it, it's a very immersive way of, of feeding you information. So yeah, they're still very effective. It was the primary reason why we created Newsforce, which was essentially sponsored headlines. So we would convert a standard, uh, what's called an LREC unit, a, a, like think of a medium-sized rectangle, uh, ad and we would turn that into a three headline unit that looked, you know, it had a mark around it. It was clearly designated. We weren't trying to fool anybody, but it looked a lot more like a like a regular news headline, and it was typically drawn from press releases or other type of advertorial 
and it was going gangbusters. We got really high engagement on it. So people will click it. People are interested in reading and consuming. So it, it's funny to me how many people poo poo advertorial in that when you look at the numbers, people engage. They really do. So, you know, just all of this has got me thinking about like, you know, I, I usually save this question for a little bit later, but I just think it's appropriate to ask it now. But with, with us talking about this and, and, where do you see the future of it being? Like, like, what do you see, I don't know, five years, 10 years from now with it? That's always such a dangerous question. And I'm not going to say something stupid like VR. Woo. <laughs> hey, we won't, well, Dave might hold you to it, but we won't hold v you to it. Well, VR on maps is an interesting thing. But beyond that, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I, I think actually, to be honest, some of the, the coolest stuff that I think really will yeah, ultimately VR. take off is... Um, is akin to VR and AR, which actually is the, the digital signage, the smart signage. Uh, and that's actually gonna be very dependent on legislation around facial recognition. So as we know, they've just sort of disallowed it in San Francisco in, in many systems in, for Amazon, I think it was. But that technology is very, very real. And people, you've probably seen the videos and stuff where people interact, it's getting cheaper and cheaper. So between that and people using that type of technology, either in their homes, like the Amazon Look, or in an, in an external fashion, like in a dressing room, I do think you are going to see more of that crossover between the digital space and our physical spaces. As retailers are trying desperately right now to find a reason to be after the retail apocalypse, they're increasingly looking for these experiential things. And they've got the money to be able to spend for virtual dressing rooms and things like that. Anytime you ever go to CES, those are some of the things that really just fascinate people. They're, we're all drawn to our own images in a mirror, right? And so who cares if it's actually secretly recording all of our emotional state, <laughs> what we're wearing, how much we spend at time, right? <laughs> that to me is probably the area where we, yeah, it's very minority report, but you know, why not? People are actually looking for that type of thing. Well, see, one thing I thought was fascinating, and maybe Dave could talk a little bit about this more, but um, when we're in Bend, uh, the Deschutes, <clears throat> I believe it's Deschutes Brewery, but, um, or, or a lot of the different, uh, again, Dave can help me with this, but a lot of the different beers and the names that they have, what they were doing was they were using virtual reality to kind of show you the areas or the lakes or the names or whatever that their beers were named of, what those came from. And I thought that that was a fascinating part of it. And I don't know if I like completely butchered that, Dave. Nope, that but... was Deschutes. They did um, a YouTube series at one point with um, all of their beers are named after the local kind of nature, high main attraction points kind of, I guess it's landscapes. And what they did is they did a, a small YouTube video series where you could put on your glasses and you could really see it and immerse yourself in that space to see where that beer's name and the idea of it came from. That sounds really cool. Yeah, I mean, like, I would spend time with that. Yeah. And, and I, I think what we're seeing in all our generations is, and phones were sort of our first thing to wean us off staring at our computer screens, but now we just stare at the small thing in our hand. <laughs> There's a 
a desire for people to interact with IRL, right, in real life experiences. So being able to have this digital experience literally wallpapered into your events, I think, is is not going to go away. And I think there's some logical places where we can build technology there that can be a lot of fun. I mean, these should be, and not just for selling you advertising. To me, I always look at the, the true value of digital is the incredible assistive technologies that have come out of this. Everything from helping us in medical, mental health, um, communication, politics. I mean, the having now seen for two decades what has come about from the early days of tits of the week to now (laughs) tumbling entire, you know, diplomatic regimes, that's a pretty big arc right there. So when you put it that way, <laughs> oh my gosh, it, it really is fantastic. You know, so I think there's we're some gonna... puns in there too. No, <laughs> you know, somebody if, if tits of the weeks isn't still up, they should put that back up. <laughs> well, you know, it's but it, I would like to see a male version of that, so that us <laughs> ladies could have a little bit of that. What, man foods of the week? No, no, because that's <laughs> just, just one doesn't want to go there. But chest of the week, right? Butts of the week. I don't uh, know something. We can we can get egalitarian here. I'm just look. so gonna get in trouble right now. By every everybody. Well, as soon as this is over, Dave, can you just edit all of that? Out? All of that. Out. <laughs> well, yeah. I don't have employees you, right now, so I can't be charged with. <laughs> Anything like politically, yeah. So, you know, when you were talking about all that, it just makes me laugh at myself even because I, you know, I think back to, it wasn't even that long ago, maybe like, you know, six or seven years ago. And I, you know, I had, I just bought this, my first big screen, 65 inch TV. And I remember sitting there thinking, I'm never going to consume my TV on like, you know, on my like phone. That's just so stupid. Like, you know, like I got this nice big screen right here and I probably consume 90% of my like TV can, you know, watching or whatever on my phone. Just exactly what I said I wouldn't do six, yeah. seven years ago. So I, I find that fascinating as as falling victim to it myself even, you know. Although I think I'm probably going to have to invest in a series of like ophthalmologic, ophthalmological solutions for people who have eye damage. I do feel like all of us are getting eye damage and neck damage and all this stuff from our, our interactions with devices. It's getting oh, a little I ridiculous. Oh, I feel like, yeah, I feel like I, I'm, yeah, exactly. I feel like I'm going through something with my left eye with that right now. But anyway, that's another story. <laughs> it's so, like old people. We have old people. We have to sit around and talk about our lumbago. Get off oh, my lawn. Where's yeah. Rhinos? <laughs> this is so. Oh, go ahead, Dave. I was gonna say this is the uh, you know the old curmudgeons uh, week of of shows. So yeah, everyone get off our lawn. The the one thing Dana, I just thought of, and I do not have one in my hand, my house. I do not have an Alexa. I do not have Siri. Well, I guess my wife has Siri, but we don't have anything that you know orders or you know google voice or alexa but what about like would you consider this marketing or of what type i don't know but the amazon reorder buttons are you talking like position zero or all of them? no not position no they're technically iot but yeah they're basically so iot yeah yeah because all they do really is sort of send a small signal to something so yeah i think they're still yeah, they're still technically considered IoT because they're essentially dumb devices that just do one thing. What do you think about the IoT and advertising? Is there going to be a space with, you know, Samsung and their and GE with their refrigerators 
is that going to be something that you would see? Like with the IoT and melting of with Amazon and Whole Foods, like, you know, we know you (laughs) shop here already, you know, or do you want Peapod to deliver? Or do you want your local grocery store to deliver because we see you're already out of these things? So push this button. You know, I think that might work for some people, but I think it's pretty overcomplicated, to be honest. Um, And and I love the idea of it, but I feel like in practicality, that's not the way I operate. It's not the way I shop. Yeah, there's the same three or four items, but, you know, I always want the freedom to to untether from a, a pre-programmed shopping trip. And I think a lot of women are like that too. I don't know well, about what guys about, like, who make all the decisions. Like it's the end of the week. You usually do your, you know, do you want us to deliver your, your Nutrisystem or do you want us to reorder stuff? Like, I don't know. I just wonder if those systems, I mean, do we, do we really need a, the Nest system that, you know, monitors everything you talk about and connects to all your devices? And shuts them all down. I I don't think so. I really feel like there's, I think we've gone overboard with two minutes to like, can I make this versus do we really need this? And and actually there's a, there's a whole podcast from one of the founders of Etsy who's just like, should, should this technology exist? I'm like, I I look at some of the things like, yeah, well, there's an IOT toothbrush that tells you whether you've brushed long enough. Like, that's just stupid. I don't want to track my teeth brushing. There's a lot of overcomplication right now. And I think a lot of that's tied to fundraising and money making. And, you know, people invent stuff because, because they can and because they can get Con some poor fool into backing it. So unless it's something that could get your kids to actually brush their teeth for two minutes straight, no. Then just put bubble gum on the <laughs> tooth. <laughs> I mean, there are, but you no, know, I'm you, with you. You, I'm with you know, you what totally. works really better for that instead of an IoT for when you're training kids. They've got toothbrushes that have like a little song that plays, and that gives them an auditory feedback. It's time to the right amount. That's the kind of stuff. VCs that, won't back that, but of course not because no. it. Yeah, it doesn't raise you $8 million on, yeah. So you you have to have something that's just stupid enough to get a crazy valuation. Actually. So so speaking of, of stupid, and I know we've been talking different ta- tactics or whatnot, but um, there is, a, I, I want to make sure I ask you a few questions before we run out of time because I could, you know, we could continue to talk about a lot of this stuff forever and I love it, but there's stuff that I definitely want to hear, but um I'm just curious, and, and this has always been fun, but what is like one crazy tactic that you've ever saw, you know, that you've seen or that someone did, or maybe even you did? Like, what's one thing that has actually like shocked you um, over the course of your career with, with uh, you know, the digital space? Yeah, I, I, I'm shocked every week. It's really <laughs> I was literally, this morning, here's, here's the shock I had this morning. Somebody had sent me a link. So right now I'm, I'm in fashion and I'm, doing custom-made fashion for women. So I have a platform that helps. Give uh, the whole pitch. All right. Yeah, do Give it. the whole pitch now. And then Ballad expect Dana. my... <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say, then expect my daughter to like be reaching out to you now. Awesome. Yeah. So Belladana is an e-commerce marketplace for women to buy custom-made fashion. But in reality, that's sort of the front end. What it really is, is a platform that enables people who make custom clothing to reach audiences and to scale their business. So we've got a full nice. tech roadmap that involves a lot of back-end stuff to have assistive uh, services and tech to, for them to be able to scale themselves. So that whole world I've been in now for two years trying to understand what's called fast tech. It's a whole different world of, of technology when you get into the front-end fashion stuff and e-commerce plus the back-end manufacturing. It's 
really cool, really amazing, but heavy duty technical stuff here. Um, So anyway, so people send me weird stuff all the time. And I get this link today from a friend who's like, oh, look at this. And it was a, a, a custom dress that exists only as a digital file. And it was auctioned for Ethereum, cyber currency, at valued now at about $9,500. So someone paid wow. real Ethereum for a fake dress that exists only in the blockchain. Oh, my word. So I like that, and I'm like, okay, I feel like this is the sock puppet days all over again. I feel like a crash is going to happen any minute. But at the same time, I'm like, why didn't I think of that? (laughs) (laughs) I could have saved a whole lot of time and money. So, I mean, if we we could get a bunch of those fools, that'd be awesome. But I don't know that that everybody's... That first pizza bought with Bitcoin looked almost (laughs) like a good deal. Exactly. At least they could eat it. So you know what else I was going down today, memory lane, before you guys? So do you remember the Million Pixel homepage? Yes. 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 I remember that. It is. I actually just looked at it this oh, morning, wow. and that dude's out there. He just raised $88 million for his app, right? So oh my gosh. stuff like that, I'm like, the first time you look at it, you're like, and again, I can call something stupid like the digital toothbrush, and someone can still make a bajillion dollars out of it, and then I'm the one who looks stupid for not believing in it. So I think almost anything can work once and and maybe never again well how many yeah how many sites popped up after that million oh, yeah. it was like oh two million yeah. and five million oh, yeah. and ten million i was like okay. no it, it happened once it was cool well actually i was thinking i would use that as like a an, in place of kickstarter for fundraising on my business what do you think about that <laughs> if i had like a big picture of a dress and all my friends could just buy 10 by 10 pixels to color it in and i'll do my fundraising that way what Boom. do you think uh, hey whatever the- works Whatever works. Like we're talking about, like these stupid ideas. Real quick. Well, (laughs) friend, friend of mine has a uh, book called "The Power of uh, Starting Something Stupid," and so that's uh, what I I think of. And and basically, these stupid ideas and end up a lot of the stupid. I mean, some of these ideas are stupid, yes, but a lot of these stupid ideas end up. uh, You know, I, I saw a tweet the other day that talked about how everybody thought Uber or taxi people thought Uber was stupid. Cable people thought Netflix was stupid. You know, just a a whole series of stuff like that. And I find it fascinating. But I actually thought that auctioned advertising links on search engines was stupid. And I Mm. said so on the record. Because, yeah, well, at the time, they didn't have any bid management systems. So you had to manually move your bids by a penny. Oh, yeah. And so on the first day it ran, our report to the community was, well, it cost $250 in agency time to manage $50 in spend. So that doesn't make any sense. And so I was like, well, this is dumb. We're not going to do this. So, you know, now Google owns all all of the clicks in the world. So I was famously wrong and happy to admit it. Um, you well, know, you were it, wrong under that system. Yes, under that yeah. system. And AltaVista is no more, as we know. But Yeah, speaking of Uber, it still cracks me up when I see that silly meme where it's like, you know, we all grew up, don't, don't talk to strangers, don't <laughs> yeah. get in strangers' cars, you know, don't ride with people you don't know. And here we have an app that basically hails a car that we don't know to come get us to take us somewhere. It's true. And I, it, like, it's against everything we were ever taught as kids. That, you know, don't talk to strangers. Oh, well, hello, stranger. I'm going to talk to you now for the next 15 minutes while we drive Airbnb. somewhere. Same thing with Airbnbs. Yeah. Go stay in the house that you don't know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I remember thinking that was done, too. Almost every, the, every one of the unicorns 
I thought was probably dumb. So maybe you shouldn't ask me these future of questions. <laughs> well, well everything move. she just said is dumb. Maybe you should go and start. So someone go start an IoT toothbrush. Just, just don't run it past Dana first. Or actually run it past. And if she says it's stupid, then go for it. Because no. you got Double a billion down. dollar item. <laughs> Double down. So um, let's just move on to the next question then. I'm curious, you know, uh, who inspires you? Okay. Uh, whether and it, it can be. Someone in the past in the industry or someone that you're seeing rocking now or, or whatever. But I'm just curious, like, who inspires Dana? I'm always looking for stories of people who are doing really big, big, big groundbreaking things, even if they're spectacular failures, you know. So early on in my digital career, and he's, he was famous in the cable industry. There was this guy named John Malone. And it's really interesting in the in the the full loop of things. Elon Musk just launched um, a satellite network. They're going to try to deliver internet via satellite. Well, that is not a new idea. John Malone, who was had made his fortune from cable back in the day, launched the Iridium network back in the late '90s, trying to do the exact same thing. And he raised what seemed like an insane amount of money back then uh, to do this. And then ultimately, it it failed. But he was. That's the kind of, that's a moonshot, man. Literally yeah. a moonshot. You know, this is in the 90s. And it, most people didn't even know what to do on the internet or have any means of actually even T-T-W. utilizing this in their homes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But there was no such thing as broadband back then. But to try to think that far in advance and to convince that many people to give you money to literally shoot things into the space, wow, wow. So you look at stuff like that, and then it was fail, like spectacular failure. But did he just go home and cry and not? Nah, he went on. He went on and did other things. So the people who inspire me are the ones who knock it, not just to the fence, but beyond the fence. And and even if they don't get it all the way there, they aim like they are. So certainly Malone. I love Ariana Huffington. I think she's in a constant state of reinvention for herself. Political figures, of course, that I admire. Um, feminists everywhere. Yay, women. Um, love it. And, you know, I, I, I like to be inspired every day. And... Um, to me, the people who well, break rules for for positive reasons are the ones who set the bar for all of us, I think. You know, you, you opened it up a little bit, and I don't want us to have to go off on a certain tangent that, that, that we don't want to. But oh, I go would, on a tangent. I, I would, <laughs> do it. I would, do love, it. I would love for you to, you know, because you, you talked about earlier, you, you walked into the room and you were the only female and you know a bunch of tech or math nerds and and this industry is very heavy you know male obviously and so what advice would you give to you know young up-and-coming females in the industry and like what what can what can they do what can we do like how can we how can we continue to make things better what can matt tell his daughter yes what no that's great that's perfect example dave because you know she's a she's a almost 19 year old finished first year of school she's going into um, basically this space, you know, what can we do to help her get her along and help, help her get past a lot of the stuff that maybe you've had to, to get through. You know, I will have to say that the search marketing space, um, was very welcoming to women early on. It was actually almost like 50, 50 back in the day when we first started out and you remember those early days, Dave, going to the conferences, it really wasn't overwhelmingly male. It might've been overwhelmingly male in the engineering pits, um, but there was a lot of female representation. So it always felt really supportive and positive. You know, there, there really wasn't much of that. And in fact, it was funny because 
when the very first booth babe showed up at Search Engine, uh, I forget what, it was SES, I think Search Engine Strategies. Yeah. And a, a booth babe is like a scantily clad chick or a series of chicks <laughs> that stand there and hand you crap. Um, and, you know, all the women really got upset about it. And I always we, avoided them. Yeah. I'm like, I'm trying to talk to them yeah. and ask a question. And I'd ask them a question they like, very no technical clue. about like, yeah. the bidding software or something. And they'd be like, oh, I can't help you. you yeah. Know? I like, think well, it was then, like best of the... I think that was... Best of, yeah, I don't remember who it was, but yeah, they they so we actually sort of created a, a bit of a stink with the show managers and told them, hey, you know, this is not adding value to our experience here, and we were listened to. I don't know if they ever changed what they did, but it, it was it was openly discussed, and it wasn't rancorous. It was just like, you know, this isn't really who we are as an industry because we listen to each other's brains, not you know, t-shirts. Mm-hmm. So it was. Um, I think that changed a lot actually over the years. It is things just moved away from where we were in the early days. I think anytime you have a new and novel space where it's uh, people who are driven by a common purpose of exploration and discovery, that makes everybody equal. Uh, Or at least it seemed to draw the people who were curious and open-minded. It's later when things get into... um, a space where there's scarcity or power fights and things like that, where it's a more um, mature industry or more mature organizations, then you get into a lot of that BS. But so what I'd say to your daughter is, well, if, did she grow up with brothers? I mean, just listen to me. Yeah, it's, yeah there you go. So I, I was lucky. I, I almost have, I didn't have to learn. I was raised with brothers. So, you know, I had to fight for every meal I ever got from those <laughs> she guys. Has. Yeah. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> so that made it a lot easier just, you know, being able to, to talk to dudes. But I, to be honest, it, just be who you are. Be who you are. Be smart. Answer questions. Ask questions. Ask lots and lots and lots and lots of questions. You will learn. They will feel good about what they're, you know, giving you as information. And that's how you both succeed. I think there's so much give and take everywhere intellectually. And that's how people bond, no matter what gender or or gender spectrum they are. I love that. I I mean, I think back to, you know, and and I like what you said about, because I remember like back in the days, and it's only seemed like recently that it seems like there's been a big push of, of you know, like, hey, we're not represented well or, or more people are wanting to use social to make it a stink. And I don't know if it's something that has been bloated or not. Like, I just look back to my own experiences and, like, the, the one of my very first mentors and the person that's helped me from the beginning in this industry, Deborah Masteler. And so um, she's she took me under her wing and, and has been a great friend for a long time. And... And I look back at a lot of the panels that I was at, like even 12 years ago, and I was the only male on the panel. And so anyway, I, I appreciate hearing what you say is, I guess what I'm saying, because I, I feel like in the last couple of years, there's just been this push to, to say how wrong things are where I, and again, I'm not saying that there's not stuff out there. People are going to like yell at me and whatever, but, but uh, it's interesting to hear your take on that is what I'm saying. I yeah. Guess. I do think also that women are still a little bit more reticent to ask for speaking opportunities and make carve out priority time for such. It's always funny to me when I go to Twitter in the middle of the day and it's all like dudes tweeting. I'm like, aren't you working? (laughs) Who's working here? All the ladies are silent. So you know what, chicks, I think you should just make sure you carve out at least a certain amount of time per day for self-promotion because that will help you get the furthest ahead. I think all people should, all businesses. Just if you want to be the expert, you have to be heard. 
And I think that's part of the problem maybe, I think, and of course I'm a guy, so I honestly don't know. Um, <laughs> I will be the first. <laughs> but, you know, like my wife, she's busy working. So, you know, she's not, she's in-house, busy working, head down, you know, fighting those fights and, you know, and then, you know, doing her thing. So she doesn't have a ton of time these days to go and, she, one, she can't promote stuff. But I think if you're an in-house person, you need to look for ways um, to get your voice out there in one way or the other. And if you're a small business and you don't want to just talk about what you do, talk about other things. Like I have multiple Twitter accounts. And if you look at my one Twitter account, my main one, it's probably a mix of news, sports, harassing my friends, um, you know, promoting my friends' projects. Music. You know, you can do a lot of different things with one account or Instagram or whatever. Yeah, yeah it's true. It doesn't have to be. Tons. But you have to, yeah, you, if you don't set aside at least, yeah. you know, after lunch, I usually look at it. In the morning, I might look at it. And at night, you know, but yeah. it's just five minutes. I scan through if there's nothing interesting or if I didn't read anything interesting, I won't share it. Yeah. I, and, and in the, the EIRL version of that is, you know, the power lunch, right? So... Women, I think, don't seek to get to know executives on a personal basis, but I can tell you those cocktails and those lunches really matter because that's where business is done. That's where relationships are formed. And I know that it gets a little tricky in the Me Too era, but you can't ghettoize yourself from that growth track just because you're shy or you're afraid that somebody won't talk to you. And if you feel uncomfortable having lunch alone with a man, or then, then bring a couple of women, you know, bring a group of them, or, or make it a mixture of people. But create spaces for yourself to bond with important people in your company, because that will go a long way towards your own growth. Well, you know, it's crazy. I've always, like, I've always felt like I've had a good grasp on certain kinds of things or you know, what uh, what you've had to deal with. And, and until my daughter started working, she works at a theater, and the stories that she comes back and tells me, like, that creepy old men do or say, or, like, even coworkers not letting her do her job because they continue to ask for, like, dates or stuff. And I'm like, seriously? Like, I mean, I mean, I, I this is coming from me. I thought that I had a pretty good idea of the kind of stuff that you guys had to deal with. And then she's coming back and telling me all this stuff, and I'm like... Is this what the world's full of? These kind of creepy men? Like, it just kind of baffles me sometimes. Yeah. Well, you know, the crazy part is it doesn't even matter how old you are. Like, okay, I'm 54 now. So you wouldn't exactly be thinking that I'm the kind of person who's going to have to worry about that. Um, but yeah, it still actually happens to me. Even just a couple yeah. of years ago, I was at a, a networking party and I was having conversations with, he's a very prominent attorney and he's quite an important person. And I thought we were having a great conversation that was business oriented. It turns out we weren't <laughs> as I found when he put his hand on me, my knee, Jeez. you know, <laughs> Jeez. Oh. I was just like, Oh really? God, <laughs> Ow. Ow. Oh. you think once you have a C in the front of your title that that's going to keep that crap from happening, but nah, oh. Nah, it's still there. You just get better at rebuffing it or ignoring it. Moving on. Well, I like the advice that you've shared on it. For real, I'm gonna. Anyway, I, I, I thought it was good. So, uh, Dave, any any final thoughts or questions for Dana? No, I, I think um, I think what you should do is take Dana's advice and like every time Matt and I are in the same town together, we go and have lunch. I love like, it. We have a point. Anytime I'm downtown Chicago, if I know 
I'm going to be there. I might ping some of my old coworkers, my old bosses. Um, Dana and I have gone, I've dragged her out in various places. We've gone to concerts, um, you know, Matters. try to drag people out that you, even though we're what, 30 miles apart. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I, I'm not always downtown and she's lately been traveling all over the place. So, you know, anytime I travel to a new city or I have conferences or something somewhere, I try to think about who in my network of LinkedIn or Facebook or anyone I know from the industry and, you know, just meet them for lunch or meet them for coffee and just catch up with them. That, that time spent in real life is so much awesome, so much more than just tweeting back and forth or pinging each other on Facebook. Very yeah. true. Yeah. So, so yeah, I don't know if, if uh, you have any final thoughts on that, Dana, or anything you want to share before before we conclude here, but uh, I'd love we'll to let you go and grow your business. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll stop bothering you. <laughs> no, I think it's awesome. Well, actually, I'll, I'll follow up on that because we had talked a little bit before we went on live about how my final, where I am now after all these years of inventing digital things and working within the digital ecosystem I'm back to doing things in a very real space. I literally was at the Whole Foods parking lot this past weekend, sticking flyers on people's windshields. Oh, wow. So, <laughs> yeah, you, you, the, so the learning of that is don't, don't rely too much on one channel. Always think integrated and never be afraid to hustle. Well, I yeah, love hearing doing that. the trunk club thing or the trunk thing. Uh, where was that? Downtown somewhere. Yeah. yeah a couple so, weeks ago. Yep. Well, we, well, we, I, well, I love hearing that, Dave, because I don't know if you, you made a point to hear what she had just said with, that's something that Dave and I are preaching all I the time. I try not to listen to Dana, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> About well, I've known her for, what year, 15 years now or so? I try not time. to listen to her too much. <laughs> but just the whole, like, everything in one basket, and it's it's such great advice. And so, anyway, Dana, I really appreciate um, just you taking your time and, and carving out some time with us today to, to chat about this. And... I just wish you the best of luck in all these ventures, and I, or actually, that does remind me of one final question I have. When you when you mentioned Fashtech, did you coin that term? Um, no, but it seems like the people who are using it are not using it the way I am. So, of course, okay. you know me. I'm actually started a meetup group called Fashion Nerds, where I'm participating in Fashtech. I'm, I'm making it, so I'm going to run with this little hashtag right. and turn it into like a thing. Because you cool. know me, I, I got to make it big. Very cool. Awesome. Well, thank so, you so much for having me here, and I hope you guys have a wonderful week. Hey, you too. So, so for Dana and Dave, I'm Matt Soltala, and uh, thank you guys for joining us, and uh, we'll catch you on the next one of these. Again, thanks, everybody. Bye. Thanks.